All right. Well, um, my name is Robert. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm glad you guys are here with us tonight for the start of a new series uh, for our midweek fellowship. Uh, we'll be meeting for the next six weeks. Well, I guess tonight is week one of six. Uh, so we're meeting another five weeks. And uh, our focus is going to be um, as broad and as narrow as growing as a Christian. We didn't really give even the title of the series a whole lot of thought. I look at it and I go, that's the lame title. Uh, the graphic's not. Thanks, Brandon. Um, but we want to talk about, I want to just work through some texts of Scripture that help us think deeply about what it looks like to grow as a believer. Um, what are some practical things that we can do, things that we're called to do? But more than that, I want to root our, our understanding of Christian maturity and growth and sanctification uh, in, in something that it goes beyond just the, the to-do list that I think we so often gravitate toward. If you're like me, you gravitate toward lists. Um, I, I love being able to check things off, and I get really frustrated with myself uh, or other people sometimes if I can't check things off. But the Christian life is, is more than that, right? Uh, praise the Lord, it is more than that. But I think it requires us to renew our minds in some really important ways. So um, these next few weeks, we'll talk about things like reading scripture, we'll talk about prayer and the role of prayer in, in causing us to actually grow as Christians. We'll talk about church community, life in the local church, what it means to be part of the people of God and how the people of God and the local church is, is meant as a gift from the Lord that we might grow into the head, into, into Christ. We'll talk about uh, evangelism and missions and discipleship. All these are things that the Lord has, has given us that we might understand the gospel better. And I think at some point in there, maybe directly or indirectly, we'll talk too about um, suffering and how the Lord uses that to grow us and mature us. Um, but tonight, we're not going to talk about those things directly. Tonight, we're going to lay some, just a foundation. That's what I want us to do, is establish the groundwork for everything that'll come in the next few weeks. Because I think if we get this part wrong then the next five weeks will end up being drudgery and really difficult to, uh, to maintain. So let me pray for us, and then we'll, we'll get started. Um, Father, I do thank you for these people here tonight. I'm grateful uh, for this church and, uh, and these believers among us. I pray for people here tonight who might not be believers. Maybe they think they are, uh, but are not. Or maybe they know that they do not know you uh, in, in a true way. Lord, I pray that this would be encouraging and uplifting for all of us, that you would direct our gaze away from ourselves and help us to look to Christ, help us to look to, uh, to him, help us to abide in him as the, the grounds, the foundation of everything else that we might do. I pray that we would seek Christ first above all else. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, what's the foundation of Christian growth? I think that's the, the main question that we need to get at. What's the foundation? What's the, 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 the bedrock of, of the Christian life and, and how to, to grow in sanctification? I mean, the Lord has given us plenty of tools to do that, um, but none of them are fruitful if they're not built on the right foundation. And that foundation, this should not come as a surprise, at least I hope that it's not a surprise, that foundation is Christ. That foundation is the gospel. Now, um, I hope that's not disappointing to you. Maybe you think, man, I, I, I was speeding through town. I left work a little early. Uh, maybe I, did, I left some things undone, and I got here. I scarfed down my dinner so that you could tell me that the way to grow as a Christian is to <clears throat> be a Christian. Um, 
Yeah, yeah, no, that is what happened. That's what you're doing. Uh, but, but I hope, I hope you see there's a little bit more to it than that. Uh, I want to think a little bit more about it than just that simply. Uh, none of these tools that the Lord gives us are going to be fruitful in our lives as Christians to help us grow if, if we are trying to do anything apart from Christ, right? Uh, if we're trying to be like Christ without Christ as the foundation for that, then it's just not, it's just not going to work. Colossians 2, 6, and 7 uh, it says this, therefore, this is Paul speaking to this church. He says, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Uh, Christ is the foundation. The gospel is the foundation. Having a right understanding of who Jesus is that's the foundation for the Christian life. It's the foundation for how we grow to be more like him. So turn to John 15. I want to look at this um, uh, discourse of Jesus to his disciples. John chapter 15, starting in verse 1. He, uh, this back portion of John's gospel is devoted to some of the final words that Jesus has for his disciples. Some of the final things that he prays for them uh, and the things, the instructions that he gives to them before his death. So these are really important thoughts that Jesus wants them to understand, right? Uh, these are like essentials uh, that he wants to make sure that they walk away knowing before, before his death. Um, so he uses a metaphor to describe to them what their relationship to him is like, what the relationship of one of his disciples should be like to, to Jesus. This applies to the disciples, obviously. It applies to us if we consider ourselves his disciples as well. Um, so I want to just, just look at this. Let me read it to you. I am the true vine, he says, and my father is the vine dresser, a vine dresser being kind of the farmer, the guy who's in charge of pruning things, making sure things are growing the right direction, the right uh, you know, health, making sure leaves don't get in the way of fruit and all sorts of stuff like that. Every branch, verse 2, in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not, or every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it, it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples." Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. <clears throat> If you were just listening, uh, maybe, maybe there's a word that stands out to you, like a key word, the key word of this passage. Uh, anyone want to take a stab at it? Throw it out there. 
abide. Did somebody say abide? Doesn't matter if you did, because that's what I was going for. Yeah, abide. He says it over and over and over and over and over again. We abide. Interestingly, he abides. Uh, his word abides. His love abides. Uh, we're called to abide in him, uh, to abide in his love. Abide, 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 abide. But the metaphor that he uses to, to help us understand what he means by this word abide is one of vines and branches and, and fruit, like, like grapes, right? You think of like a, like a vineyard. Um, to be a fruitful branch, right, to, be a, 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 to bear fruit, to grow, to be established, to be healthy, to be a fruitful branch, we are told here to abide in Christ. To abide, uh, and it's one of those things, the more you say it, you kind of forget what it means. Uh, to abide is to remain, it's to dwell, it's to settle, it's to continue in something. Not to continue doing something, but to, but to have your existence continue to be a part of something or dependent on something. Um, if you were to like search through the New Testament for references to this particular word, you see that John loves this word. He talks in his letters, he talks in Revelation, he talks in his gospel about how important it is that we abide in Christ. Uh, and likewise, how Christ himself abides and his people remains with us, continues with us, stays with us. I'm going to mix metaphors here. Uh, this, this metaphor is thinking more about grapes and, and vineyards. We don't really have that as a context very much. Have you guys, um, well, I'll tell you what, we're, we're kind of entering a time of year where there is a sort of vine that we often maybe think about. Um, it's, it's, it's pumpkin season, right? Everybody, Linus is looking for the great one. Uh, you, everybody is like going to Starbucks to get the caffeinated version of, of pumpkin. Um, there is, uh, there, there, there are dads right now who are dreaming of, uh, making the perfect pumpkin who will probably be just kind of disappointed and end up having to phone it in with kind of a, a like a cockeyed pumpkin smile and uh, a nose that is not proportionate to the eyes and, and, and mouth and all that, or the tooth that you thought was just right and you cut it off. Pumpkins are starting to become a big deal, right? Um, have, you ever been to a, um, have you ever been to a pumpkin patch? Anyone ever been to a pumpkin patch? They're terrible. Pumpkin patches are awful. They're terrible. Um, you know, there's just something about hunting for a pumpkin in 90 degree weather, right? Because that's, that's what we end up doing is if you go to a pumpkin patch, you're just going to be sweating. There's something about, there's just like no amount of, of hay rides and tractors and stuff can compensate for how miserable of an experience hunting for a small squash can really be, right? I mean, over, over time, it just starts to, you're covered in sweat. There's just a lot of sweat equity you got to put into finding something that's, it's, the second you cut into it is proceeding to rot away and die, right, on your, on your front porch. Um, when, when I was a kid, we used to go to like a farmer's market or something, right? And you, you'd walk in and you just grab the perfect pumpkin. They were all perfectly round, you know? You could just pick it up. You'd pay way more probably than you should. It wasn't me, it was my dad. But you, you'd get the pumpkin of your dreams and you'd go home with it and everything was fine. Well, a few years ago, my family, we decided, uh, my wife and my kids, we went to this pumpkin patch out in Auburn. And it, we thought it was going to be a great idea. Won't this be fun? We can go to a pumpkin patch and we can, we can hunt for a pumpkin and we can, we can take it right off the, you know, the vine and we can take it home and carve it and all that. It was miserable. It was awful. 
you know, they hand you, they hand you some scissors and, and you know, like garden shears or whatever, and you feel like you're going to be able to do, uh, it almost feels kind of silly. Like, can't you just like pluck it off the vine like a, like a grape maybe? But you can't. You really have to get down in there. You have to cut it. There's foliage. There's all sorts of critters and creatures. It's 90 degrees. Have I said that already? It's 90 degrees. It's miserably hot. There's nothing fun or entertaining about this at all. And you're wandering through these fields which is not something that I normally do. And you're wandering through these fields and you're picking out the best pumpkin. But here's the other thing about pumpkins that are growing in a pumpkin patch on a vine. They're, by and large, not perfect, right? They're not like hand-selected and delivered to some market somewhere and there's like a bin of like $5, you know, trash pumpkins. It's not, they don't do that. You have to go out and you have to find the perfect one. And some of them have been growing on their sides and they're, they're all flat and gross and no, no good to anybody. Some of them have fallen off or been crushed by said tractor ride and now they're rotting in front. And there's flies and all sorts of bugs. And it's gross. There's nothing ideal about hunting for a pumpkin on the vine. Uh, and, and then the next thing you know, your wife and kids have abandoned you and they are in the car waiting for you to just figure it out, right? It's a miserable experience. But I think it's because we set the expectation. I have the expectation when I go to a pumpkin patch, which was only that one time. Uh, I had this expectation, though, that, that pumpkins are, you know, they're, they're easy, they're simple. You just go find the perfect one. And, and you forget that pumpkins really actually grow on a vine. That's how they're meant to be. That's how they grow. That's how some poor soul picked it the first time. You just walk in on something, and you find it prepackaged and ready to go, and you take it, and everything's perfect, and and ready for Halloween, but that's, or not Halloween if you don't do that. Uh, but you, um, it's just, it's perfect. It's too easy. And then, and then you remember that that's not how it works. That's, that's not reality. Pumpkins at some farmer's market, it's not a reflection of, of reality. It's convenient. That's not how it works. I think that's how we as Christians tend to think about growing as a Christian. We we want something that's convenient, we want something that's easy, we want something that's prepackaged that, that we can go and, and get and it's got great graphic design to it and, and it's, it's easy to understand. You can, you can take it and it almost kind of cuts itself, you know, it's, it's like it's, it's, it's pre-done, it's pre-made and you walk away with this perfect round, you know, pumpkin. I mean, Christian life, you know, it, it looks great. But that's not the way Christian life, that's not the way we grow. We, we, we lose sight of the vine and we have this false expectation then of what, what it is to grow as a believer, how we're supposed to do that. We, we have to be tethered to the vine and it's, it's dirty and difficult and frustrating sometimes and it requires a little sweat maybe that you weren't expecting at times, but, but remaining, abiding on the vine is the only way we grow as Christians. It's the only way it's going to, to happen and, and so in the end, you know, we, we're looking for the perception maybe of control. Oh, if I just do these things, if you give me some tips and tricks here, I can be more like Christ. We, we want streamlined results. We, we want efficiency. That's maybe our goal oftentimes rather than abiding, dwelling in the, the beauty and the truth of the gospel. And so we have this expectation of the perfect Christian life. It's a Christ-likeness, though, that is devoid of Christ. Because of that, it, it, it's not going to bear any fruit. Um, it might look like joining a church or attending a church um, and assuming that this will just sort of automatically make you into a better Christian. And you, you can tell that's maybe how you're thinking because you've been, you've been around a while and you're getting frustrated because it's not happening. Right? But you expected that this would just sort of 
happen? I'm doing the right things. What? Or, or maybe you're, you're reading the Bible and you're praying with just with a, in a frenzy, expecting that just by merely doing these things, this is going to produce and yield the sort of results that you, that you want. Oh, I just memorize enough stuff or I, I read enough volume, you know, that, that'll be the thing that pushes me into deeper maturity with the Lord. Or maybe you're trying to make disciples, even share the gospel with people, um, but it depends on your effort. It depends on, 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 on whatever you see in front of you as the obvious sort of means that, that, uh, that is definitely going to bring about the results you expect. Forgetting that you rely on the Lord, that the Lord's grace is, is what is sufficient actually for you to, for you to do that. For somebody to even come to faith. I mean, we, we tend to turn away from the things that seem uh, not as sure fire, and, and we look towards what in our minds seems a bit more under our control and, and, and something a bit more desirable because it looks less messy. Um, but the result of all of this is that the, the fruit ends up being bad. If you want to turn to Isaiah chapter 5 with me, Jesus in John 15 was actually echoing this very passage. So if you, if you go to Isaiah 5, 1 through 7, uh, we get a, a glimpse of the, some of the, maybe the context for what he's getting at. Here, the Lord is talking about uh, his, his vineyard again, or maybe initially. And, and he says, Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it. He hewed out a wine vat in it, and he looked for it to yield grapes. But it yielded wild grapes. Now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? I mean, he, he built a watchtower. You know, what more do you want? The, the, the grapes should be yielding to the farmer's plants, but they're not. They're doing their own thing. They're growing as they see fit. What I, when I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured. Because uh, you think of a hedge protecting a, a field. It's like a fence, you know. I'll, I'll take it away. I'll let all these things be, be devoured. I will break down its wall. It shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed. And briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. Of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. He looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed, for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. The people of Israel were called to be God's vineyard. That's what he set them to be. Uh, but rather than abiding in him, rather than uh, living according to his law, rather than adhering to his word, they chose to go off the path. And the result is that the Lord sees it fit for nothing more than, or nothing less than destruction. It may seem innocent. Oh, these are wild grapes. Aren't they good enough? But that's not the point. The point is that the Lord must be the one to guide the growth. Uh, grapes, pumpkins, people that yield to the Lord's wisdom as they grow are the ones who will, in fact, grow. It's, it's, it's his people as they lean on and abide in him who actually become more like him. So the beauty of the gospel is not found in making us better planters with better tools. We're not really the, the plants in this story or the planters in this story, but, but rather it's the simplicity and it's the grace of abiding in Christ. 
I, lo- I love this truth. And I think sometimes maybe I, I, I find it sneak into my preaching more, more often maybe than is, is helpful. I don't know. I, I can't get enough of the, of the idea that the gospel is and, and the Christian life is, is very simply grounded in knowing Jesus. And maybe it's because my inclination is to find all sorts of ways to reinvent the wheel. And yet, yet in the gospel, I find that the Lord tells me to just sit down. To, to stop racing against my own you know, clock and instead rely on and rest in and dwell in, abide in him. There's incredible grace in the gospel that calls us busy, busy bees that we are uh, to rest in him. This has always been God's purpose. I mean, from, from the very first, uh, from the seventh day of creation on, uh, the Lord's design has been that we would rest in him, with him, that we would abide in him. So, we, we see this play itself out in two ways, according to this, this text. These are my two points, that, that we would abide in Christ and that, and that Christ would likewise abide in us. So, so let's look at that first one. Jesus, uh, or rather, we will only grow as Christians if we abide in him, if, if we abide and rest in, in him. We see that in verse 4. I mean, it's very clear. Abide in me, he says. And he, and he elaborates on this, and, and he explains it in a, several different ways. But, but we're called, first of all, to abide in him, to rest in him, not in ourselves, right? Not in what, what others have done, not in what we might do or hope to do or what we haven't done uh, or would never do, right? We're called to rest, to abide in, in Christ. And then he tells us to abide not only in him, but in his love. In verse 9, he says, um, he says, uh, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. I want you to meditate on that for a minute. I mean, does that, does that describe you? Are you abiding in his love? Because the, the, the implication of this is really clear. To abide in Christ is nothing less than to abide in the love of Christ. Does that describe you? I'm not asking, uh, can, you, can you prove that Christ loves you biblically? A lot of people can probably do that or would point to passages that say that without personally knowing that or experiencing that reality. It's possible for the love of Christ to be more of a theory for you than an actual reality in your life. Are you abiding, are you dwelling in the love of Christ for you, for his people? understand this isn't just sort of a generic kind of love. Oh, Jesus loves, you know, all the people of the world. I'm, I'm talking specifically about the, the love that Christ has for his people, for his redeemed people. Do you, do you know that love? Do you think about your relationship to the Lord in that way as abiding in his love? See, if the love of Christ, uh, love of Christ depends on your growth then you won't grow because that's, that's, that's backwards. Our growth, it, it actually is fueled by, it depends on the love of Christ for us. That's a big difference. You need to understand Christ loves you, therefore, 
He, he, is, he, is, he will make you grow. Therefore, he will call you to, to righteousness and holiness and greater increasing sanctification. Don't, don't get it backwards. The, the love of Christ precedes all of that. We grow only when the love of Christ supplies our growth, in other words. This is how he can say in verse 10, maybe, maybe you caught it. You know, he, he says, uh, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. That's how he's able to, to link obedience to the Lord with abiding in him. You, you think of abiding as a more passive thing, whereas obedience is more active. It's a deliberate. It's a, it's a thing that you might do. Uh, but it, it's because as we abide in him, as we abide in his love, it naturally just it goes hand in hand with obeying him. It's not that abiding in, in him is, is just the, re, the result of obedience. Oh, you've, you've obeyed me enough. I can let you move in. No, it's the other way around. These things are, they go hand in hand. They, they work in tandem. Uh, obeying the Lord, obeying the commandments, keeping his commandments is really evidence that we are, in fact, abiding in his love. But it, it begins with, with that. It begins with the grace of Christ's love for us, not the other way around. And, and not only will we grow as Christians if we abide in him, but, and I, I love this, we, we will grow as Christians, we will become more like Jesus if Christ likewise abides in us. Which is just really, I mean, it's remarkable you know, to, to think about. I think so often we, we're oriented around ourselves and our perspective, but, but Jesus very clearly tells us here that, that unless he abides in us, all, all of this will be for naught. We, it's, it's, there's a mutual thing going on where Christ dwells in and with us. He abides in us himself. He abides in us through his word and his word, and he abides in us with the joy that he imparts to us that, that, that only comes from him. Abiding in him is not one-sided. Uh, but as we abide in him, so he abides in us. Uh, it's, it's, it's not cause and effect. It's more like, like feeling the heat of a fire at the same time that you see the fire. These things go, they go together. And so we are, as Christians, necessarily then tethered to Christ in the sense that he is our lifeblood. You know, we, we, we depend on him, and he, because he abides in us, we have life. Because he abides in us, we, we can grow and be fruitful and, uh, and, and, and obey him and be more like him. That works itself out, not just in, in the general idea of him abiding in us, but in his words abiding in us, um, which I, I take here to mean not necessarily scripture, though I think that's certainly an implication, but, but more broadly than that, the, the truth of the gospel. If his words abide in us, if these words that he is speaking to them now and has spoken to his disciples in the previous few chapters, if the, if the truth of the good news of the gospel abides in us, we will, we will grow. Does the gospel abide in you? I'm not saying do you believe the gospel, do you know things about the gospel. Does the gospel abide in you? Does it dwell in you? Does the gospel find a home? in your own heart. I think, I think that's, a, that's something we, we often, we gloss past, we, we fly so quickly past uh, the, just the truth of the gospel because we're, we're looking for bigger and better and we want to climb higher and higher and we see the gospel as, as sort of step one and everything else is, is more and more important. But that's not the way the Christian life works. That's not the way we've been taught. The reality is that the gospel is the, it's the, it's, it's the whole ladder. 
It's everything. Uh, and, and so if the gospel abides in us, that becomes then fuel for growth. Uh, is the gospel the air you breathe? I like that analogy. Is it something that you depend on? Maybe you don't always even realize it. You can't put a finger on it necessarily. You're not always cognitively, explicitly thinking about it, but, it, but you know that without it, you would fall apart. You would fail. You would die. You would suffocate. Does the gospel take that, that role in your life? You need, to, you need to decide today, I think. If you're, a, if you're a Christian, if you're following the Lord, if you want to grow, you need to decide today to determine that you will not get out of bed tomorrow without deciding to abide in, in the Lord and, and for his gospel and his, his work to abide in you. Because otherwise you won't have any, you, you won't grow. You won't have any, any fuel to grow, any nourishment to grow. You need to abide in the good news that Jesus has given his, his life for you. And I think it's easy for us to jump to a lot of other important doctrines and things to think about, uh, but they, they, they can have a habit, if we're not careful, of drowning out the essential truth of the gospel. Uh, Jesus has died to save us. He, he died, actually, all right? It wasn't the result of anything we did. It wasn't because we just, you know, twisted his arm or because we showed ourselves worthy in some way. No, Jesus, he loved us. He died for us. He gave his life for us. What are you panicked about if that is true for you, right? We, 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 I think it's important for us as believers to cultivate hearts that are, are content to rest in that. And it may seem kind of scandalous. It seems like almost like cheap, great. How could, you, how could you do that? No, 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 no. If our lives aren't rooted in the overwhelming grace of what Jesus has done, the undeserved nature of his love and his death for us, then, then all of our, everything that follows is just going to be built on our own, our own sweat and toil. It'll prove a drudgery because we will only be fueled by the hope that we have in ourselves. But if your hope is found in Christ alone and in his work, then that, that is what will propel you to be more like him. And I think that's where this final little um, uh, encouragement of the Lord comes in in verse 11. He says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. You know, I, I've, uh, I've done a lot of chores in my life. I've had a lot of just regular routines, you know, I, I cut the grass, I fill the tank with gas, I, you know, there, there's all sorts of things that we do that we just kind of have to do that we do without joy necessarily. Um, some things are easier and so we don't necessarily notice how we're just kind of pressing through because it's just sort of uh, a reflex. You can just kind of get it done. You know, we, we have to do this. I got to go to sleep and I got to bathe my kids and, and whatever. So we're just, here, here we go. You don't necessarily have to be fueled by joy for that to happen. But, but the really important things, the things that require uh, a lot of determination, the things that require sacrifice and risk, uh, the things that uh, exercise just all of our faculties and energy, the things that, that drive us, um, that requires something more than just grit and determination, doesn't it? You know that, right? And you've experienced that in your own life. What we need to be motivated properly for, for really anything, especially of the magnitude of the Christian life, is joy. And I'm, I'm sure, I'm, I know from experience, I've seen it play out in a thousand people's lives, right? The, the, the truth is, if we're not motivated by joy in the Lord, then all that we would want to see happen in our lives to become more like him is, is really, it's just going to flounder. 
You've probably felt this in your own life, and you, you cry out like David, you know, Lord, restore to me the joy of my salvation. We need that joy to be the, the fuel that, that, that moves us along. Joy is kind of a tricky thing, though, because I think sometimes we, we equate joy with a very temporary sort of happiness. We, we equate it with changing circumstances, you know, passing excitement. Um, but this joy that Christ wants to give to us, and that in the gospel he does, in fact, give us, this joy is eternal. Because it's, it's rooted, it's grounded in something that is eternal, someone that is eternal, the work of Christ that is, is not thwarted, it does not fail, it has been from eternity past set forward as God's plan for, for his people, that he would save them and redeem them. And because of that, then our joy, the joy that Christ has in obeying his Father, the joy that Christ has in rescuing, redeeming a people for himself, that same joy is imparted to us. He, he calls it his joy. Uh, not just in knowing him, but, but the joy that he himself shares with us and allows us to participate in with him. He, he, he prays that for his disciples, and he, he prays that for, for you if you are his disciple. That we would be not only joyful, but that we would be full of joy, that our joy would, would he says, be full. So you will not grow as a Christian if your joy is found in anything but Christ himself. And so joy is, is the fuel and not just the product of, of growth, which is sometimes tricky because I think we rightly experience joy as we become more like Jesus. But I think what we misunderstand is that that joy is, is not the result of the growth itself, but, but it's rather the, the fruit of that growth, which is that we know him better. So the Christian life is not about what you do. It is not about how well you can keep in step with these things that the Lord has laid out for us, even these things that the Lord calls us to uh, to follow and obey and, and, and do. The Christian life is propelled by joy in Christ and, and knowing him. And so then in these next five weeks, as we think about things like prayer or reading the Bible or sharing the gospel with people, uh, they are only beneficial to us in as much as they point us and remind us of who Jesus is and what he's done. That, that's the benefit. That's the value. So I, I guess my, my encouragement to you is to, is to you know, really think about this over these next few weeks. What, what question are you really asking when we, when we talk about growing as a Christian? Is the question at the heart of it all, how can I make myself grow? What, what are the things that I can do here? What are the tips and the tricks that I can pick up that I might, might make this happen? Or, and this is a better question, this is what I think we need to be asking, how can I abide in Christ? How can I dwell in him? How can I rest in him? How can I continue in him? Those, that's the question we need to ask. And I think until we start asking it that way, we're, we're going to ultimately be really frustrated with the Christian life. We may not be Christians at all because we, we need to abide in him. This is the be-all, end-all of what he's called us as his disciples to do. Let me pray for us. Oh, Lord, we, uh, we, we thank you for your word. We are uh, overwhelmed by your kindness to us.
Everywhere we turn, uh, we are told what to do. We are given steps to follow. We are given expectations. Well, if you only do this, then these things will, will certainly happen. And how often are we then frustrated when in the Christian life we, we pursue what we feel to be, think to be, and maybe rightly understand to be means of grace, but because we pursue them as ends in and of themselves, we, we end up short-circuiting all the, the good that they might have for us, the, the, the change that they might work in our own hearts. Because rather than seeking Christ-likeness through Jesus, we seek Christ-likeness through ourselves and through other people. Lord, would you bring us back to a very simple understanding of your gospel, that we would know Jesus, and that we would dwell in him, that we would abide in him. Lord, that's what we want. We almost feel guilty thinking and praying about it because it seems too easy, it seems too straightforward. How can this be that we are called to simply abide in you, to rest in you? Aren't we supposed to work? And while your word gives us commands and while you call us to abide in your love even by keeping those commandments, we know that it is ultimately fueled by the joy that you supply us as we simply know you. So that's our desire. That's our prayer, Lord. Help us to grow by knowing you better. We want to know you better. May everything that we do, the, the, the things that we read, the way that we pray, all of it, would it be because we want to know you better? May that free us up from the constraints that this world and, 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 and sometimes even people in the church put on us. May we instead rest in Jesus and all of his work for us. We ask for all these things in his name. Amen. Amen.